0: Uh, we're going to be looking in Ephesians chapter 4 uh, at a message uh, that is a part of a series on the Christian vocation. And today we're going to be looking at our own special grace. You'll see why i right up further in the front in verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And may God bless the reading of his word today, is my prayer. You may be seated. The word vocation then speaks of our calling, uh, our responsibility. Uh, the task that God has given us, the job or occupation uh, that He has given to His people. And it's so clearly expressed in verse 3 of this chapter. Uh, It is our job, our task, our responsibility, our vocation, our calling to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We live in a divided world, uh, getting more divided all the time. The division that we experience is one of belief and the practices that they foster. The kind of life that people live to a very large degree uh, depends on the beliefs that they have. And so the divisions that we see in our culture are a reflection of the radically differing beliefs, and these divisions grow wider and more diverse all the time. In this division, we know that God and God's Word and God's people will ultimately win out but before that time, the Bible's very clear to point out to us that there will be a time of growing chaos leading up to what the Bible calls the Great Tribulation. And for a while, it may look like that the enemy's winning, uh, but he's not. We saw that last week. Uh, the world and the devil is going to have his day, but one day God is going to have his day, the day of the Lord. And really the idea, though, that the world is, uh, is having its time is nothing new. After all, in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19, uh, John says this, We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true and in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. And here John contrasts in the people of God, those who are in Christ, those who have Christ in them. And the fact that we know God, we know who the true God is. We have uh, this uh, constant knowledge that anchors our heart and life. On the other side of the world, and the world, those who don't know God, who don't know Jesus Christ. And he tells us very emphatically that the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. Same thing that we saw last week in Ephesians 2. The unity that we experience then in Jesus Christ is founded on the truth of our union with Christ and the fact that we are one in Him and He is in every one of us. And we've noted that the church at Ephesus uh, was founded in a a place, a city that was devoted to idolatry. They worshipped the so-called goddess Diana. Her great temple was there and so many people began to receive Christ as their Savior that the followers of Diana would actually incite a riot And uh, even though that riot was ultimately quelled, the division that existed in that city continued. And so when Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus so long ago, telling them to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, that this is your job, this is your vocation, this is your calling. Keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He was doing so in the midst of a very divided culture, a very divided city warning them that that division on the outside must not be allowed to come on the inside. Still today, it is essential that we as God's people and we as a church keep the unity of the Spirit. We must. And today, then we will be considering how our text speaks to us of the way that God gives each one of us our own special grace in the midst of this task. Now, in a way, this is continuing the same theme that we saw a few months ago back uh, in chapter three, where God's grace was discussed in a series we call the dispensation of grace. And in a way, Paul is picking that theme up today as he calls us to keep the unity of the Spirit, and therefore he equips each one of us for the task through the operation of his grace. In other words, we're not called to face this division in the world and the threat of division on our own devices of our own strength, God gives us all the grace that we need, our own special grace to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And so we'll notice, first of all, this morning, the source of this grace that God is giving us. And in verse 8, he says, When he, and that's Jesus, ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? And he who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fulfill all things. Now in order to make this point, uh, Paul brings up a line out of the Hebrew hymnal, uh, old number 68. Uh, in the Hebrew hymn book. Psalm 68, verse 18, Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive, thou hast received gifts from men. Yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. Blessed be the Lord, who daily loadeth us with benefits. Isn't that a great passage? Blessed be God, who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. And what Paul refers to then as the lower parts of the earth in Ephesians chapter 2, when he's quoting from Psalm 68, uh, the, the psalmist describes as the rebellious, the rebellious, the lower parts of the earth. You see, Jesus, when he came, uh, did not uh, uh, go to some retreat center on the top of the mountain uh, where the elite of uh, the spiritual elite would withdraw themselves from everybody else and leave as close as, live as close as humanly possible to a perfect, uh, self denying, uh, a setting, uh, a religious world in that type of setting. Uh, that is not where Jesus came. Jesus came to the rebellious, he came to sinners. And in fact, over and over again, he made that statement. And and perhaps most famously in Mark chapter 2 and verse 17, where Jesus was being criticized because he spent so much time with sinful people. And this is what he said. He said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Uh, We might add just a little bit of commentary. You know, the Bible says, there is none righteous no, not one. The problem was not that these people were actually righteous and didn't need what Jesus was doing. The problem was they thought they were righteous and didn't need it. And there's still a world full of folks like that today. But Jesus went to the rebellious, to the sinful crowd, the folks who had become the dirty plaything of an even dirtier devil, and He called them to repentance. And they came. They came in great numbers. Jesus then descended to the lower parts of the earth, to the rebellious, sinful, rejecting people, and He called them to salvation. This was exactly what had happened in Ephesus as God worked to call those unbelieving Jews and the pagan Gentiles to salvation through the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And He's still doing that today. He's still calling sinners to salvation. When Jesus ascended back to heaven, when His ministry on this earth was completed, the Bible says then He received gifts from men, and He gave them according to His own measure. Every believer in Jesus Christ is a partaker partaker of some measure of Christ's graced gifts to His people. Other passages give detailed lists of these gifts. We're not going to spend a lot of time today. We can just say that they're headed up under two major headings. Uh, They're known as, first of all, the sign gifts. And these were miraculous gifts that were given to the apostles and their followers in the days before the Bible was completed. They were sign gifts. Jesus said at the end of the Gospel of Mark, these signs shall follow them that believe. And those signs did indeed follow all the way up until the completion of Scripture and the end of the apostolic era. Then there were ministry gifts. And though the sign gifts have fulfilled their purpose and ceased to be, uh, yet the ministry gifts continue on. And there are lists that are given of all of those ministry gifts that continue in us even today. I love how the psalmist described that. God daily loads us with benefits see, you and I never know what a day is going to bring forth. Aren't you glad that we know the one who does? We sing about, I don't know who holds tomorrow, but I know the one who does. And the one who does know what the day is going to bring for us uh, always loads us up with benefits, the benefits, the blessings, the grace that we need to deal with whatever is going to come in that day. I mention this because when it comes to the subject of giftedness, we're almost always either today talking about our talents or abilities, and even many still believe that the sign gifts are continuing. But when God gives us the grace that we need for today's problems and today's burdens, when He gives us the grace that we need to meet today's threats so that we can continue on in the unity of the Spirit and in the bond of peace, then we are gifted people. He has daily loaded us with benefits so that the grace, the gifts that God gives to us are His gifts of grace. Certainly He gives us talents. Yes, certainly He gives us abilities. Yes, certainly He gives us gifts. Many passages in the New Testament speak of those. This is not one of those passages, though it does speak of the gifts. That brings us now, we see the source, that's Jesus Christ. When He ascended on high, He gave gifts to men. Now, what are the subjects of the gift in these passage? He Himself then gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Though each one of us then is given our own special grace according to the measure of the gift of Jesus Christ, some are given unique gifts. This passage speaks specifically of some gifted people that God gives to the body of Christ. He mentions four. The apostles... Prophets, the evangelists, and the pastor teachers. Gifted people that God gives to the body of Christ. So while that all of us have some gifts and all of us are daily, daily blessed by God's provision of grace for us. There are some who are uniquely gifted Now, when Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, the the Bible had not yet been completed. And he, in fact, in this very book, would mention the apostles and prophets for the foundational role that they would play in revealing, communicating the will of God and the word of God to God's people. And in that way, the apostles and prophets served as foundation, and that's what he says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built, he said, on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. See, before the Bible was uh, completed, God used the apostles and prophets to reveal his truth. Uh, They were not given any private interpretation. The spirit of the prophets were subject unto the prophets. And and they were very careful, no doubt, to make sure uh, that these people all spoke the same thing. And they came to agreement in giving the scriptures in the time then before the Bible was completed. Now once the Bible was finished, God put a period on the book of Revelation. Then that work of the apostles and prophets was completed. The foundation of truth had been laid. And it's not necessary to lay it and lay it and lay it and lay it and lay it. I mean, you know about building projects. You lay the foundation and it's done. Then you build a structure. And the apostles and prophets laid the foundation, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, that is the key to the whole thing. And then Simon, and then we're told very plainly, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 10 uh, no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Uh, there are many today who make claims about being apostles and prophets. Uh, but, but folk, the, the, the work of the apostles and prophets was to lay the foundation, and that foundation has been laid. And the Bible specifically tells us you can't keep doing that because it has been given. Now it's been written down for us. We have it. The foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, is the Bible, the Word of God. And those who continue to try to uh, involve themselves and claim then this special revelation are inevitably going to be laying a different foundation. It's not the same. Because this one has already been put down. So when we think about the apostles and prophets, we know they had a specific role in the New Testament era, and that role has been completed when God's revelation to humanity was completed through the Bible. Then there are the other two that he mentions. Here the other people with special gifts, the evangelist and the pastor-teacher. Uh, The pastor and teacher doesn't refer to two different ones. They were one and the same. We'll talk more about that in a moment. The evangelist speaks primarily that person who goes to new places and pioneers the work of the gospel. Much like we call a missionary or a church planter today. These people are particularly gifted in winning people to Jesus Christ. And since that is their gift, uh, it is also their passion. Uh, They love to talk to people about Jesus. Uh, I've had a couple couple of good friends, still have them in the ministry, who are gifted evangelists. And I've often said of both of them that they can win more people to Christ by accident than I can on purpose. I mean, they just go down the road and all of a sudden somebody comes, Can you tell me about Jesus? You know, Uh, they have incredible stories. They're gifted as evangelists. God uses them in that way. And because of that, they make very excellent church planters and missionaries. They are gifted in the work of evangelism. By contrast, Paul would say to the young pastor, Timothy, you do the work of an evangelist. I've always identified with that. Timothy was going to be like me. He was going to have to work at it. It can still be done. It has to be done. But where some people are just gifted and and it just seems like they're bumping into people and winning people to Jesus. Some of us work at it a lot harder. But those special evangelists are one of the ones that is God's gift to the body of Christ. God uses them. and He accomplishes great things through them. Then there is the role of the, of the pastor and teacher. And this is uh, two words that refer to the, to the same office. And we know that uh, uh, those who are pastors and teachers uh, continue to have a role in the New Testament church. I don't don't bring this up this morning to be self-serving in any way. I'm bringing it up because it's in the Bible. This is uh, part of God's gift to us and the way that His grace then is ministered to the body of Christ, to the people of God. One of the things God uses is those gifted people, the pastors and teachers. Now, we don't often find the word pastor in our English translation. The word itself means shepherd, shepherd. And it's translated that way in a couple of passages. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 says, Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which is purchased with His own blood. If you're reading along in the King James Version, you'll see the word feed instead of shepherd. Uh, feed the flock of the church of God. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 2, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Same thing is true in 1 Peter 5 and 2. The old King James has that feed. Uh, Shepherd is the word, feed. So integral, you see, is the concept of shepherding and feeding the sheep uh, that they were... Used interchangeably. Three times Jesus asked Simon Peter if he loved him. Three times he told him to do what? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Pasture them. Shepherd them. Feed my sheep. Both of these passages, Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 and 1 Peter 5 and 2, uh, referred to uh, the concept of an overseer. Again, that is the role of a pastor. The pastor is not the ruler of the church because it does not belong to him. It belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Peter would go on to mention in the next verse, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 3, is Christ as the chief shepherd. He is the one who actually owns the flock. He is the one who actually owns the church. But the shepherd's role is to provide general oversight. He doesn't do everything, but he sees to it that it is done and that it is done right. He leads the flock. He feeds the flock. Uh, And uh, those are important, crucial matters that God gives to us. The role then of the shepherd, of the pastor, uh, has to do with the general leadership of the flock, the goal being that the sheep would be well-nourished and spiritually healthy. And that has to do with your personal spiritual condition. Feed the flock. So that the church has spiritually gained in strength and health. They're strong. They're well-nourished. You oh, know, Brother Bill is a, is a good example, not uh, just because of his wonderful uh, ministry among us, although it is wonderful, uh, but because of his role as the worship pastor. Brother Bill doesn't do all the singing and playing. If Brother Bill tried to do all the singing, all the playing, he'd have to be kind of a one-man band kind of thing, you know. with Be tough. He doesn't do it all himself. He instead teaches people how to sing. He'll provide oversight. He's the one who picks the songs. He'll teach them then to our companyist and, and teach them to the choir so that when they come together on Sunday, we enjoy this beautiful music that he puts together. It is a great example of the pastoral ministry What is true for him is true for me and all of our other pastors. We don't do all of the work. But it is our responsibility to see to it that it is done. And that includes and involves providing the general leadership that is necessary and then teaching other people how to do it. Every father in the building today knows if 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 you had sons at least, you know how it is to teach your sons how to do things. And all of you women kind of cringe when I say that, all you moms, because y'all have been around when, when dad was trying to teach his boys how to do stuff. I, I, it's a stressful moment. It really is. I've gone through it a bunch, and I don't feel like I ever did it well. There comes that time when you're going to teach your boys how to change oil in a car. And you bring them out and you say, this is how you do it. Get under there, do all this, do that, change the filter. Do that, you got to uh, put a little oil on there. Why did I tell them to put a little oil on that oil ring on the filter? Because that's what my daddy told me to do. It may not have anything to do with anything, but my dad told me how to do that way. And I have passed it along to all three of my sons. Take a little bit of that oil, put it on that rubber ring, screw that filter in. Hand tight, you don't have to put it on there real hard. Uh, Be careful, son. Don't twist that bolt off in two. You don't want to twist it in two. The reason why that's so difficult is because it's a lot easier, dads, to just do it yourself. There comes that time. You've showed them a time or two. Then you've got to hand the wrench to them. That's the only way they're going to learn. It doesn't matter whether it's handing them the keys to the lawnmower or giving them the weed eater, no matter what it is. You can show them how to do just so many times. Yeah, yeah, I did. I, I got it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. I didn't know. Sooner or later, you got to give it to them. The big challenge, guys, of course, is finding more to commend than to criticize. I didn't always do that. It's a whole lot easier to be critical, to get upset because they did it wrong and had to do it again. And you all know what it's like. To try to teach them. But you know what your reward is? Your reward is when you see your boys teaching their boys (laughs) how to do it. And and they know how to do it. And you ladies do the same thing as you teach your daughters uh, those important things. And it would be a great moment, even though this is kind of a sideline. I'll take away just a little bit of a rabbit if you'll give me just a second to chase. This is a great time for us to talk about the role of parents Uh, God help you, young parents, you got young kids, please don't fall into the trap of just putting an iPad in your kids' hands and calling it good. Uh, Parenting is hands-on work. You got to teach them how to do stuff. (laughs) Teach them how to do stuff. You know how to do it, pass it along to them. Spend that time with them. You'll be glad you did. See, that same role comes over into the church. The role of the pastor-shepherd is primarily to feed the flock so that the flock is spiritually well-nourished and healthy and growing and reproducing. Uh, That is what a church does. And so when we are being a good shepherd, then that has to do with your own spiritual development. But also the teaching and the teaching part comes in as we teach then people how to do ministry. Which brings us to the last part, the source. The source of the gift is is Jesus Christ. The subjects, who He gives it to? God gives special people to the church, gifted people. They're not special because of anything about them. They're special because God has given them a special gift, and He uses them. Then the service of the gifts. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, Of the body of Christ. Vance Hadner perhaps said it best long ago when he said that the tendency among churches today is to hire church staff to do a church work and come together on Sunday and watch them do it. But that's not the biblical model. The biblical model is that the role of our pastors and teachers is to, first of all, make sure that you're well-fed. And that has to do with the feeding of the flock of God and the spiritually nourishing and, and providing that good, wholesome, spiritual food so that you're healthy and strong. And then to teach you, then, how to do two things. Two things that are mentioned in the passage. Number one, how to do the work of the ministry. The body, you see, must be taught how to minister to itself. Now There are multitudes of, of, of churches in the world where the pastor has become basically a, a chaplain trying to do all of the ministry for the whole church to everybody. But biblically, the body is supposed to minister to itself. Paul makes that very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse 25. There should be no schism in the body, but that the members, the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. You see, the members of the body learn how to minister to one another, to help one another, to encourage one another. And so part of the things that, uh, that the pastor teacher teaches, then is teaching people how to minister to one another. And then the second thing he teaches them is how to build up the body. And that has to do with growing both in size and in strength. We grow in size as God adds new people to the body. Uh, there's, a, a couple of, there's one thing I, I love to hear for a while. And that is I, I love to hear people say, you know, I, I don't know half the people that are there anymore. <laughs> I love to hear that for a while i love to hear it for a while because that means that God is adding to our church family and we are growing and there are new people around. But I only love to hear it for a while because after a while, I want you to get to know one another. And you need to. You need to. Uh, when new people come, God adds us. I mean, uh, I, I want you to know one another where if you, uh, well enough so that if you bump into one another in Walmart, you're not embarrassed to speak to each other. Well, I go to church with them, but I have no idea what their name is. And, you know, I I know I know them, (laughs) but I don't know them. And you need to know them. That's how we grow stronger as a body. Because we build strong relationships so that we're not only growing in size, uh, but we're also growing in strength. We're growing closer together. So if uh, if a church is well-fed... And and well led and well taught, uh, then they're being equipped to do ministry. So that they are ministering to one another, they're helping one another, and they are then working to build relationships where they can minister effectively to one another. It's a great thing, you know, when new people come uh, because they've got something that uh, uh, we all want to see around here. <laughs> they've got friends. And family, and when they come in this church and and they're warmly received and they're well fed and they're surrounded with a healthy atmosphere so that they know that they're in a flock where people are well fed and they're happy and there's joy in the camp, they're going to go to their friends and family and say, hey, you need to come see this and they'll do and they'll come and then they'll bring more with them. And it is a constant process then where new people are brought into the body and we're constantly growing then. The body is building up itself and the body is ministering to one another and we grow in size and we grow in strength. And that's how it works. You say, well, Brother Rich, I, I don't teach a Sunday school class. I can't sing my way out of a bucket. I, I can't sing in a choir. Uh, I, I, I can't. I, I'm too old to do this or too old to do that. Uh, I want to show you some ways real quickly this morning, just just some quick things, simple things. That no matter how old you are, how young you are, doesn't matter whether you're extroverted or introverted, whether you meet people well or maybe whether you struggle to. There are some things you can do to help our body, our church body, continue to grow in size and grow in strength. Simple things. Uh, it may be as simple as changing seats. For about 90% of you, I can close my eyes, and if somebody called their name, I can point to where you are <laughs> before I even look because you sit in the same place every Sunday. I'm telling you what, you can change churches just by moving to a different section. <laughs> you know, man, I, don't, I didn't know anybody over there. What an opportunity! You say, well, I'm scared to talk to these people because I don't know their name. No, just explain. Listen, I've been sitting on the other side of the church, and I've never had a chance to talk to you. My name is so-and-so. Just go ahead. It's all right. It'll only hurt bad really one time. And then, it, then you're past it. Change seats. You might want to warn the preacher before you do. I don't want to have a, get up here and have a heart attack. I, everybody's moved inviting somebody over for lunch oh that's a great ministry you know it's very biblical one of the things God calls us to do is to be hospitable invite somebody you say well my house is a mess fine you're probably going out to eat anyway (laughs) say hey we're going down to the Mexican place you want to go why don't you come eat with us It don't mean you have to buy their lunch. Although you can, that would be okay too if you can. But if you can, that's okay. Inviting people to Sunday school is a great ministry. We might even get really radical. (laughs) And uh, that means maybe getting up and moving up to the front where there's always room. So maybe some new family that comes in late can have a back seat. You never know. That new family might have a wife that's been begging her husband to come to church with her for 10 years and he's finally come. And that scowl on his face is not because he's mad, it's because he's afraid. And he don't want everybody to know it. And by you getting up saying, here, take my seat. You come up front, it's okay up here. It really is. The lighting's good. Um, You never know what an impact that might have on somebody. It means being understanding if you get here and somebody new is in your seat. Let them have it. I've told you the story before. I'm going to tell it again. I can't resist. I went off to preach a revival meeting uh, down in a country church, uh, down not too far from here. I got there about an hour early because I I really didn't know how long it was going to take me to get there. When I got there, nobody else was there. I sat there for a number of minutes before anybody, uh, still nobody. I finally decided, you know, I'm going to go up and check and make sure that I got my dates wrong. Because it was getting about 20 minutes till... Sure enough, the door was open. The lights were on. The air conditioner was on. I felt much better. I walked in, got in the second pew uh, down, set by the corner. <clears throat> oh, it was good when I heard the door open and a little lady came in. I looked back at her, smiled. She smiled back. I, I didn't think much about it. I just went back home. When she got set down, I was going to go see her. But I was blessed because she came down and put her hand on my shoulder. I said, looky here. This lady's coming to talk to me. What a great thing! And she smiled at me so pretty and said, You're in my seat. (laughs) You're in my seat. Sometimes, you see, ministering to others may be as simple as just saying, you know, I usually sit there, or maybe not saying anything at all, saying to yourself, I usually sit there, but it's okay. I can sit over here. See, it's the body's job to grow. If, it, if it's healthy, if it's well-fed, well-nourished, and strong, then that flock is going to spiritually reproduce. You'll bring people. Uh, they'll hear the message. They'll hear the gospel. They'll come back, and they'll bring others with them. That, that's just the way it happens when things are healthy. As we grow then, and we grow stronger, and we grow larger, then we get these instructions that we'll look at verse uh, next week, and just read them today. Verse thirteen: Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. We should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. We all come to the unity of the faith. Every new person God sends us is an opportunity for us to obey this passage. I don't think any of us would look at that man or woman we see in the mirror and say, you know, you've arrived. (laughs) You're pretty well done. You don't need any more work. I wouldn't say that to myself and none of us would say it to ourselves. There's always growing to do. There's always work to do. And the vision that's in our world is constantly giving us opportunities to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit till we all come in the unity, the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. I'm not sure what all uh, the educational systems of our state meant when they implemented what was known as the let no child be left behind referendum. I just remember that was a famous thing that they said, no child left behind. The educational system, if I understood it correctly, it was their way of discussing how that every child was precious, every child was valuable. We didn't want anybody left out, left behind, and just saying, not going to worry about that one. As a church family, as a body of Christ, uh, we look at one another as valuable and important. If God has brought them to our church, then we need to learn what it means for the whole body to work together, to come to the unity of the faith for all. Let's stand together.